promoting female musicians and artists. Julia Johnson is a multi-instrumentalist folk singer. Julia, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's really nice to have a chat to you today. Now, you've been in Sydney for a few years. Yeah. But prior to that, you were playing uh, in bands in Canberra. Mm. So I, I'm interested to hear firstly kind of what prompted the move from Canberra to Sydney. Yeah, well, I mean... I'm someone who will be one of the first people to jump in and defend Canberra when people inevitably bag it out. Okay. But I was, uh, I guess you get to the point in a in a place that has a small population where you just think, okay, I've played in all the bars here. And uh, at that point, a lot of people had lost their jobs in the public service, which meant that there were a lot of really overqualified people getting jobs in Canberra and I just couldn't get a job. Oh, right. <laughs> So I packed my bags and came up here to the Big Smoke where me and my previous band, Julia and the Deep Sea Sirens, we had been getting some, you know, we'd been getting a lot of love in Sydney. We'd been playing some gigs up here and it had been going really nicely. So I just thought, well, I'll just come up the highway where the weather is nicer and they don't have to scrape frost off their windscreens in the morning. It's a, We complain so bad if we have frost. And I laugh at you. Yeah. <laughs> you Are you actually fr- – did you grow up in Canberra as yeah, well? Yeah, I was born in Sydney, but I moved to Canberra when I was five and came up here in my, I guess, my mid-20s. So, yes, I, I have experienced some fairly cold winters. Right. Mm. <laughs> you saw a glimpse of what was back up the other end of the highway. Mm. and But I'd like to – because I, I don't think I've ever been to a gig in Canberra. Yeah, so right. I'm really interested in you have a great perspective because you have a good understanding of both. Yeah. But yeah, could you take us through, I guess, maybe some of the differences between performances in Canberra and in Sydney? Yeah. Well, I guess in Canberra, um, it's quite different in that it doesn't feel like there's as big of a music industry here. So there's much more of a music community, I'd say. And, you know, we still have our aspirations and uh, ambitions, but um, you, you really cut your teeth in this really supportive place where uh, we have, like, an incredible music school, so all the musicians are, like, quite talented and and yet there's not this, you know, pressure to get on the radio straight away or, like, try and play one of the huge big venues because there isn't necessarily one to play in, so... I st- like a lot of musicians in Canberra I started playing out at like um just small bars and things but there's an, a huge DIY scene there I think just last weekend there was a festival called No Front Fences which is just a huge festival that happens across three houses that I think just share fences oh and wow yeah there's a lot of um really incredible house parties I think the police came to one that I played once and they told me that I was definitely the quietest thing that they'd ever had complaints about oh okay are you <laughs> playing an acoustic guitar or yeah just with my folk band we probably had a PA set up at that point but they were just they they were just standing out the front listening and kind of enjoying it for a while before they were like all right you have to wrap it up but it's a really supportive scene down there and um 
I really think there's something in the water like there's just some really incredible different unusual music coming out of Canberra at the moment and I mean it had I haven't lived there for a few years so I feel like I've got enough distance to um to say that I mean the bands that I see when I go and visit my friends down there and go to gigs they're as good as any band that I see when I've traveled around the world as well like really good quality of music there and just a really supportive lovely vibe the only thing is like if you're a tourist or someone who's not from Canberra <laughs> you will not find these gigs like they're they're underground you've got to know which gig guide to look at or like be friends with the right person on Facebook for the event to pop up in your feed mm. like yeah you you have to really want to go to the gigs in Canberra to find them well if the gig is literally a house party mm. It's probably more difficult to find than the Enmore Theatre. Except that, you know, Canberra's this lovely, quiet place, so you can kind of just follow the sound in some suburbs. Okay. <laughs> Listen really carefully for yeah. the bass drum. Yep, yep, and you will find the music. <laughs> it sounds like you were painting, like, a really positive picture. Yeah, I am. I, like, I played with some incredible musicians in Canberra, and the songwriters that I was inspired by when I started were just people playing in Canberra that were playing on, like, then we had these legendary Monday night gigs in Canberra, which I think are still going at the Phoenix Pub, which are called the Bootleg Sessions. And there's just like five incredible acts, and there'll be a line out the door on Monday night of like people of all ages, from uni students to like people's parents and stuff. And they all will come and just come and see these shows that just have like impeccable quality. The jazz school and the classical school that are part of the ANU have just really incredible teachers and musicians so it's like this kind of small relatively small city but like the the talent and the teachers there are just um yeah quite exceptional so it's just a yeah really strange and magical formula I think having said that I didn't get into the jazz school I just benefited from having lots of the jazz school students in my bands okay (laughs) (laughs) the is you mentioned Phoenix Bar Mm. I really don't know that much about Canberra venues but it's that's I've heard that name so that Uh, must be yeah it's a legendary pub yes I remember I very briefly dated one of the beautiful bar staff there when I was only just old enough to even be going there and he um showed me that like it's like this old this old pub which I think um Jeff Buckley played there once and that's kind of their legendary oh Jeff played here once (laughs) and they had like this big split level venue but these days the top level is just for storage and it's burnt down a couple of times it was called the Phoenix Bar before it even burnt down, so maybe they should should have thought of a that was apt a more solid name. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a bar that's just so committed to live music that nothing nothing stops this place. Uh, I think I played it its twenty first birthday. Yeah, it's um, it's a bar that just is unstoppable. Nothing seems to hold it back. It just keeps putting on bands, even if it's like half burnt down and they haven't even been able to fully open up the space yet they still try and put on bands like it's yeah quite magical sounds like a real community vibe Mm, mm. so what was i mean this sounds good yeah i feel like i need to go to Canberra (laughs) and watch some live music yeah but i need to know the right person i'll tell you the venues yeah okay cool (laughs) but so what was if there's that real kind of maybe more of a tight-knit sense of community Mm. what was the allure of sydney of coming to sydney Well, I guess in some ways, you know, there are some amazing, magnificent benefits to growing up in this wonderful, tight-knit community. But, I mean, if you think of any town, there's niceness to familiarity, but then there's also 
you feel like you grow out of it or you get sick of the fact that everyone knows everyone means that you know you might be playing a song white night about someone and then they're in the bar (laughs) that can suck sometimes (laughs) um and for me I just I really wanted to grow and explore doing things differently and for me part of that challenge was like what if I was in a different city what if I didn't have my normal bandmates that I usually play with like what would I do what would it sound like and I just yeah kind of just got that itch of like I wonder what it would be like if I just flipped my life and went to Sydney I mean I'm a very kind of cautious person so my version of doing something crazy is to just move three hours up the highway to a city that speaks the same language that you were speaking before but um yeah for me it just I think I was in terms of the the music and my um my own sort of artistic development I was like it's just time to um try something that'll really mix things up and stop me from doing the same things the same way put you out of your comfort zone a bit yeah, yeah right and it really did <laughs> You took a break mm. from writing yep. from writing original compositions yeah, for a yeah. while. Was that when you first came to Sydney? It was, yeah. I it's strange. I don't know if I sh- if I can put it down to like mental health or just the stage I was at with the the music I was making, but I just had nothing to say for a while, and I hate it when people make music and they don't have anything to say. I think uh, especially coming from a singer-songwritery, folky kind of background, there is, I guess, folk music has kind of had a bit of a revival in the last ten years or so, and it just means that the genre has kind of been inundated with people who have been saying "fuck all" if you don't mind me swearing. <laughs> no, that's fine. Yeah, and I just didn't want to add to that. Right. Um, I remember hearing that. Uh, the fella Robin who writes for the Fleet Foxes like he just had a similar vibe of I don't have anything to say and my genre is a bit flooded at the moment so he just took a step back and I I didn't know he was doing that's not why I did it I wasn't copying him I didn't know that he was doing that as well but I just thought maybe I don't maybe I don't want to um put anything out there if I don't have much to say and so I think I just instead of really quitting quitting writing original music I probably just spent two years contemplating writing original music and thinking about my processes and sitting in my room and just making some really weird music and not playing it to people um but I still was performing in a a pop punk band with some friends from Canberra occasionally and still occasionally playing um yeah just very random small special gigs but it was really interesting I think I also just wanted to know what my life would be like if I didn't make music it was such a huge part of my identity I just wanted to know what it was like to not do that um I think being a self-managed artist that comes from a place like Canberra where there's not sort of decades of music industry ingrained in it's also really hard work if you're an ambitious musician because I mean, when we were playing gigs in Sydney, that meant sometimes driving home to Canberra the night afterwards and mm. 
coming to this big city where, you know, some nights you'd accidentally score yourself a $300 parking fine while you played or they were just, you know, it can be a really... We've all been there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so I think, um, yeah, I just wanted to see what it would be like if I if I wasn't a musician and just take that out of my identity and see what happened and to my relief like still could have an enjoyable life but and I thought to myself well maybe you know maybe this is just not worth it like maybe I won't um keep doing music um just sort of completely had an existential questioning of my whole creative process and then amongst all that just just found some songs in my head that just started to come out and felt that desire to sort of tell those stories to people and at that point was like well I know that I cannot be a musician and still survive but also these songs are coming and I really want to play them so yeah. What do you think the catalyst for that change was? Um, It's interesting in a way I kind of yeah, it's so hard to pinpoint, but I just remember, I think I just sort of found this weird strength in myself. I'd, you know, been in quite a um, uh, crappy relationship that had finished and it's almost like in recovering from that, I also found my voice again. I felt indignant about some things. I felt uh, this anger that didn't usually couple up with my creative juices I guess usually I like to write about love gone wrong or you know sad things and this time I was angrier or um yeah more dissatisfied than heartbroken and I just yeah songwriting for me is a way to explore different feelings it's you know partly classic songwriter therapy for yourself but partly um yeah just a way to process things and I think I just it's like I started a new chapter and went from being teenage Julia who'd been playing these songs and writing them in the same way that she'd been writing as a teenager, took two years off and then suddenly came out of it a woman with these, you know, different perspectives and new things that I had to say and things that I'd experienced and, yeah, they just kind of became galvanised and I remember I was driving to Canberra one day and one of the first songs I wrote after that two years off was... um. I was driving past Lake George and the last single that I had released was called Lake George and so I put on the Lake George song because that's sort of a joke amongst all of my friends that we all play our Lake George songs as we drive past the lake because all musicians in Canberra have a song about Lake George. Oh, right. Learning so much about Canberra. Yeah, we're we're really weird. Um, <laughs> I pulled over at the rest stop because I just had this song that I couldn't not write down, and I had my guitar in the boot, and so I just sat in the back of my station wagon and just churned out this song that was like nothing else that I had um had written before, and then just kind of quietly sat on it while I visited my friends and family in Canberra, and then came back to Sydney, got out an electric guitar, and was like, yeah, this is what I was. This is, yeah, something new. It sounds really visceral. Yeah, it was very unexpected. It was just really kind of just came out of nowhere and suddenly I just, yeah, just had this whole new voice developing. It was exciting. (laughs) Well, speaking of this new voice telling new stories, let's listen to one of your tracks. This track we're going to play now is called Collarbone. Put my things in a pile 
side of Limestone Avenue Gave my keys to a passerby Farewell my house, my car, my room All I have is a matter of your shoulder All I have is a matter of your shoulder Watch my things billow in the wind from a box within the pile Scattered flock of memories deafening like goals at feeding time just heard there was collarbone there is a really great video for that and we can put the link in the podcast description i also heard that you made your own costume i did make my own costume let's talk about the relationship between costume making and music videos yes (laughs) how did that come to be well being a diy musician often means that you take on more roles than you ever intend to (laughs) you become your own booking agent manager Uh, All those things, but sometimes you also end up being your own costume designer and maker. I was all like, I um, design is what I studied instead of music because I just thought, well, I didn't really know that I wanted to do music until after I'd started a degree in design. Um, And so I, uh, yeah, ended up, um, I've made a few of my own costumes over the years for various bits and pieces, but I wanted to, 
have something that was feminine but also it's quite literal actually I just wanted something that looked kind of feminine but also uh was a little bit um uh, I guess strong and yet transparent and I was really happy with my um I thought my legs looked really strong at that point so I was like yeah I'm gonna show off my <laughs> sick glutes and quads because <laughs> <laughs> um, it's this song the song is about kind of this I don't know vulnerability of like I still want to have closeness with people but I don't want to rely on them so I don't really like I want that physical touch but I'm not going to rely on whoever it is for anything else and so I kind of yeah in a weird way in my head I just decided so the way I'll portray that is to stand on a dried lake in the middle of the freezing cold in a blue transparent dress on a windy day (laughs) sure yeah (laughs) Anyone would do – I'm sure anyone else would do the same thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, the video is right and everyone should click on the link that will be in the podcast description. I need to talk about instruments. Yes. I've been wanting to talk to you about <laughs> instruments for like months. <laughs> you are a multi-instrumentalist. Mama multi yes. Did you start with guitar? Um, I guess I started with keyboard actually because I was – in my house we had a lot of instruments but I wasn't allowed to play them until my parents were sure I wasn't going to drop them. So it was much easier for me. I was allowed to play the electronic keyboards and Casios and things because they can sit on a stand or on the table and they're safe. But I wasn't allowed to hold the guitar until I could put my arms around it safely to not drop it. Um, so I guess I was probably about 10 at that stage. Yeah, so it was my second intra- instrument, but it's the one where we realised I could um, play by ear. Cause my mum started to get guitar lessons after having had the guitar for like 20 years. Um, my dad played guitar a lot, but mum got into it. And I remember I had just been playing keyboard in my room and mum was in the lounge room practising her guitar and I just walked up to it and dinged every string and just named which note it was. And she was just like holy crap (laughs) it took me weeks to learn that julia (laughs) right and that was just from playing keyboard in your room Uh, i just could just somehow manage to guess it but then yeah after that i was allowed to start mucking around on it a bit more Mm. okay and then from there that's an interesting test yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm not sure if i'd be allowed to play guitar now if i had to do that before i could pick one up yeah no i mean i and you know from then i don't want to come across as some kind of amazing virtuoso i'd say 60 percent of the chords i play i cannot name (laughs) i mean they have my personal names that i give to them like g up or special c but you know that yeah (laughs) music theory is hard Just make up your own theory, that's what I say. (laughs) (laughs) You had it, so I think it's for the song Melissa Mm. on Spotify. There's the photo of you playing an instrument. And when I first saw it, my association was dulcimer. But I don't think it's a dulcimer. It's some kind of harp, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's not a dulcimer. It's called an auto harp or I think in America they call it a zither. Um, And what it is is this uh, wooden box basically that has uh, mine has 36 strings and a lot of um, chord bars on it so instead of pressing your fingers down on the strings you press these chord bars which kind of give you 
pre-made chords. So it looks like a very complex instrument, but in fact, you just press the E button and you hit strings and you get an E. Um, So it's like quite a mystical, cool sounding instrument that's surprisingly easy to play. It's a really popular um, instrument for playing like traditional folk songs in a big group with all the you know you go to a folk festival and you'll see like five auto harps 20 violins 60 banjos or whatever and everyone just jumping in playing the same trad folk song and um so it's a really popular music for just um a really popular instrument sorry for um, playing in big kind of communal settings because you can pick it up really quickly how do you it's 36 strings (laughs) Is it like a 12-string guitar where there's, like, double strings? Because mm, um, it's not that big. No, none of them are doubled up. They're chromatic, so it goes up kind of... Dun, 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 dun. Okay, uh, so you tune it. Yeah. Like A, B, C. Yeah, or A, A sharp. Oh, B. sorry. Yeah. Like a semitone. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, and there's 36 of them. There's 36 of them. And then when you add that, if I'm also playing the banjo and the guitar at the gig then that means I'm tuning 52 strings before I go on stage that's sometimes more minutes that I'm on stage yeah (laughs) but um does it go out of tune easily well not too bad it's not too bad but if I go from playing a Sydney gig to a Melbourne gig then the like the air temperatures or even Sydney to Canberra can be a bit a bit dicey but generally I don't have to tune it every gig but it does take about 15 minutes to tune it which I actually don't mind because it means that when I'm at a venue and I've you know done the sound check and I'm you know been racing around all afternoon trying to get everything together that's 15 minutes where I just get to kind of sit down and do a very calm focused task it's kind of like mindful meditation but with uh, an allen key and a tuner <laughs> <laughs> how did, when was the first time that you picked up an auto harp well one of my first bandmates worked at um, a music shop in canberra and he uh, which meant that he got to play with all the things before they got sold and um I can remember, I think I'd seen a few pictures of various like folk singers that I liked playing them. And so he was like, oh, Julia, you know that band you like, that folk band from the 60s? Oh, we've got one of those instruments that's, you know, on the album cover or whatever. So I just showed up and had a muck around with it and was like, I I need to procure this object, please. <laughs> uh, can I please have this? <laughs> and so... Yes. Um, That's a very old school way of getting an instrument. It's not like you went on the internet. I didn't even know what it sounded like. Yeah. I just like, I liked the picture of, I think it was like maybe Steel Span or Sandy Denny Fairport Convention or one of those 70s kind of folk revival bands that I saw using one. And then, um, yeah, I just wanted to have a go. Figured it, with that many strings, it had to sound instru- interesting. And then when I played around with it in the shop, I just thought, okay, this is... This definitely has a place in my band. I'd just given up on the mandolin because it hurt my fingers too much and was like really piercing in the uh, arrangements. So I just thought, all right, out with the mandolin, in with the auto harp. Um, Natural progression. Uh, yep. The So when you play a live show, yep. how many instruments do you play during the course of the gig? Usually, if I've, um, usually three. So I've got the banjo, the guitar and the auto harp. I'm trying to cut down because, like, I can't actually... If I'm doing a solo show, I can't do one trip from my car, which annoys me. So I either need to get a trolley or something or 
cull one of my instruments, which would be quite heartbreaking. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, so I usually play those three, and then if I've got a band, then I'll have drums and a bit of bass and synths and backup vocals as well. The single Collarbone, that was released in 2018. Yes. Are there new singles on the horizon for Julia Johnson? I really hope soon because I've just started to, um, yeah, I guess I want to make an album next. It it was really fun doing those two songs as kind of standalone singles because I still felt like I was finding my voice and I didn't want to commit to an album because I wasn't 100% sure... I guess what my sound was yet or where I was coming from but now it's starting to feel much more full and realized and I think I've got probably maybe four hours worth of songs to rifle through and choose which ones will actually make the cut. So plenty of album material. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah and um, I'm in two minds about whether I'm just going to choose from those or whether I'm going to write an entire album just especially from start to finish but I'm yeah hopefully going to be working with a pretty exciting producer and um, hopefully writing an album Um, and well maybe I've already written it and I'm definitely planning on recording it before the end of the year. Um, It's funny, I used to be really conscious of music industry things like album cycles and stuff, but honestly, I've just had a really strong urge to put out a song lately, so I may well just spit the dummy and just go and record another standalone single just because I have to, just feel like I have to. (laughs) Sounds good. And that's my luxury as someone who's not signed to a big fancy label or anything. I'm the boss. You should do what you (laughs) feel like. Yes. (laughs) It's time for Tell Me a Thing. Where I have a list of seven topics. I ask you to choose one and for you to tell me something about it. So the, the topics are musical equipment, recording equipment, Patti Smith, punk rock, poetry, death and politics. Julia, can you please tell me a thing? I'm going to tell you a thing about Patti Smith. I am elated about that choice. <laughs> this is episode 28. It's finally happened. It's finally <laughs> happened. Wow, I can't believe this is the first thing I'm going to... This is the first way that Patti Smith gets included in this podcast. Um, one of the first gigs I went to in Sydney when I was a teenager, like travelling from Canberra to Sydney, was Sigur Ross. And um, we were... M- my mum and dad were coming as well because we're all big uh, Sigur Ross fans. And we were also bringing my high school friend who was rather religious and she spent the entire three three hour car ride up to Sydney explaining to us my atheist hippie rock and roll family about uh, a recent trip she'd gone to overseas where she was trying to convert a lot of people to a Christianity who sounded from her stories like they didn't really want that to be happening to them and we quietly as the kind of British slightly passive aggressive quiet family (laughs) we just sort of sat there knowing that everyone in else in the car was in agreement that my friend had definitely was not doing the kind of thing we would do on our trip overseas anyway we went to the Sigaross concert and it was lovely and super enjoyable and they were amazing and then in the car on the way home my mum and dad's form of passive rebellion in the car was to put on some Patti Smith 
and I've never felt more proud and um, in the know on an on a quiet, I guess, protest than when I was in that car sitting around with my lovely but you know um, lovely friend with her questionable uh, holiday choices and just hearing the. Jesus died for someone's sins, but not mine. <laughs> and I was just like, yes, mom and dad, this is so cool. And I remember thinking like, yeah, this is going to really make her think about her life choices. Yeah, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then like we just listened to the whole album in silence, all just thinking like, man, Julia's friend is just stewing in her seat. Um and, you know, there's probably more mature things for my family to do than just crank Patti Smith. And then at the end of the album, she was like, my friend was just like, that was a lovely record. It's <laughs> a subtle burn, isn't it? We instantly were just like, oh, lyric deaf people are so hard to communicate with through song. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, so that's my Patti Smith story. We tried to use it to... Uh, to piss off a very um, devout Christian person, and we failed. And we're still very good friends, and we laugh about it now. So it's it's all good. But it's yeah. almost like a subliminal message. Yeah, you were trying to send. Didn't work. She's still very religious. Right. <laughs> Which is, you know, the right thing for her. I don't want to bag out religious people or anything, but definitely at the time, it was not not my thing. <laughs> There's a lot of reference to God in Just Kids, mm. her book. Yeah, yeah. I remember one line talking about Robert Mapplethorpe, mm. talking about the idea that when the most magic happens, he's not alone, but he's like God is there holding his hand. Mm. And mm. I often wonder, is that from a devout religious perspective or is it there's something transcendent about art, great art, yeah, yeah. which you can't explain mm. through normal things? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's very hard to to know with her. I saw her at the State Theatre a couple of years ago and, I mean, to me that just felt like a religious experience unto mm, itself. I am <laughs> mm. so glad that you brought up Patti Smith. <laughs> I'm glad she was on the list. Yeah, always. It's just not the week to be talking about politics. No, <laughs> no. Oh, Julia, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's really great to have a chat with you. Women Who Rock is proudly produced in the Sydney studios of Do As You Are 107.3.